Welcome, welcome to Chaddock the Podcast, where every week we pick a random topic out of a hat and discuss its various implications on our three countries, cultures, and lives. I'm Natalie from Toronto, Canada. I'm Odessa from San Francisco, California. And I'm Valli, and I'm from India. So, guys, we, I said this last time, but we are going to do something different again today. So instead of picking a topic out of a hat, um, you guys are going to be helping me with a project that I have to do. So, um... Just a bit of background, I'm taking a course um, about migration and ethnography and we have to do this final project about basically everything we want, anything we want uh, in relation to these stories and migration and I was like, oh, I have a podcast that's basically about, you know, three different countries. So my intention behind this is I want to ask you guys about different things and themes that have come up in my class. See you guys, see how you guys respond, what your personal stories with migration are, and what does migration look like in each of your three countries. And, and just to get a perspective of people who haven't necessarily studied the topic. So interesting. Very fun. All right. Emily, tell us again who you're doing this project for. What's cool? Um, Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. I love that. But yeah, my course is at Harvard. It's very exciting. It's, it's so cool. So if you're listening from my class, hi, welcome. Very excited to have you listening. And yeah, let's get started. So the first thing I want to ask all of you guys is just tell me about your personal experiences with migration. Are you personally migrants? Are your grandparents migrants, your parents migrants? How far does this, you know, story of migration and refugees stretch within your own family? So I don't know. Um, Odessa, how about you start? Yeah. Um, so my grandparents on my French side are uh, immigrants and also my dad. So it's a fascinating story of um, my grandparents on my French side used to live in Algeria. Um, this was in the like 1960s, even well before she was born there. But um, in the 1960s, if I get that right, there was um, an in they wanted in independence from France because France uh, colonized Algeria, um, and so it was a very brutal, you know, it was it was a war basically, um, and so all French citizens were kicked out of Algeria by force, right? So it's either you leave or you die. Um, and so my dad was a, a, a baby. He was t tiny, you know, he doesn't remember any of this, but it's a fascinating story of my grandparents. They just had to leave with nothing but their child and the clothes on their back. And they had a friend, um, who snuck them in his trunk of his car and drove them to the port and they got on a boat. And if they hadn't left, well, you know, I probably wouldn't be here. And so they left Algeria and they immigrated to France, uh, the south of France. And my grandfather uh, opened up this, I think it was a wood shop. Um, and that's how they, you know, rebuilt their lives. And they, you know, they started from nothing, really. Um, and so my my dad lived through that. Um, and, you know, they probably struggled as a kid. Um, but has, you know, ever since he then immigrated, um, not out of sheer force or anything but in a way immigrated to the United States I uh, lived in San Diego and then moved all around um, and so there's that that aspect of you know that's why I'm here um, so yeah it's a fascinating story it's a, it's a tragic story um, but that's how I'm connected to immigration that's really cool and Valley what about you because I know you're not you're not born in India right so I wasn't born in India I I was born I wasn't born in the UK I was born in India but I immigrated to the UK when I was three months my parents took me there 
so i basically grew up there for the first 5 years of my life but before my family before my parents generation everyone grew up in india everyone was raised in india everyone lived in india their whole lives my granddad was actually a freedom fighter so mm. um yeah so he was very proud of his culture and he used to make sure that all of us were around here we all was contributing to society and i think only when it reached my parents generation like the generation above mine did people really start to see that there was a world beyond india that they could go and harness skills and learn So my parents wanted to be doctors and they felt that the UK was an excellent place to learn and you know to get opportunities that weren't available in India because they didn't like working as doctors here in the hospitals the government hospitals are not very good quality so they moved there to a place called Grimsby initially which is a place where all these indian construction construction workers stay that have emigrated over there and it's a very modest neighborhood it's not as fancy as how you would expect london or the uk to be mm-hmm. So for them it was initially very difficult to adjust to that kind of lifestyle especially coming out of India because at India there was somebody there were these freedom fighters grandchildren so they were always treated of very very like well they were they were treated as kings queens that kind of level like pretty much royalty in the small town that they grew up in so i think it was jarring to go there and find out that they were nobodies but also taught them a lot because as immigrants they were they had to prove that they were better because there's a law in the UK that says that you can only hire an immigrant if there's no local person that's good enough for the job. Huh, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's interesting. So as I grew up my parents always I think instilled that in me that when you go abroad you'll have to work twice as hard as anyone else. Every immigrant has to do that. It's always going to be harder as an immigrant to make a name for yourself or to get mm-hmm. to the same level as local people. So you're already not at the top of the hill you're climbing up when the local people are already kind of at the top or getting there. So I think that is my experience with immigration and I think even growing up over there as a brown child I definitely did feel out of place because everyone around me was fair skinned and as a child you don't really understand why they are like this and you're like this. Mm-hmm. So I think it also did create a few identity issues. Uh but yeah, I think as an immigrant it is harder to adjust to life abroad. That was my experience with it. Thank you for sharing Valerie. That's really interesting. I'll share my story. I've talked a lot about my Palestinian side on this podcast where we and I think it was in our diversity episode or in other ones I'll talk I talked about how my grandfather was a Palestinian exile um and fled to Egypt. Um so he was like a refugee in every sense. He, I I I don't think he sought asylum, but he was considered a refugee when he was there. Um and then him and my grandmother had to leave for political reasons from Egypt. Uh, my grandmother is Egyptian Lebanese. So they left to Canada, but then my other side of the family, they were immigrants. They weren't refugees. They chose to leave. My family's from North India, uh so in the Kashmir region. Um so they chose to leave. They came to Canada. There wasn't really anything. It was like the t- typical immigrant experience on my mom's side. Um they wanted a better life. Uh and they had the resources to leave India, which I know what isn't an option for many people so they were able to leave um and they had a little bit of family over here in Canada just to you know have a point of contact so my like i'm second generation canadian and i know my parents really embodied the whole immigrant experience my dad told told me he liked to have these um they call them fob picnics which are like fresh off the boat picnics um which is like they would all like like uh all of the like big family that all immigrated together um would like have these big picnics together and like talk and just have fun and I never got to experience that um so just looking at the way that my parents lived versus I lived um I don't know I think it's kind of interesting so and my next question 
is because we again we all live in very very different areas what does the common migrant or you know refugee population look like in your areas yeah i can start um we have a lot of um latin latin x uh immigration since we're so close to the mexican border so that's the main um immigration i personally see like i can see myself and it's not just on the media um but in san francisco we have a huge east asian so like japanese koreans chinese um community and so and that's a lot of that's a lot of immigration we have a lot of the south american uh, immigration coming in um and obviously with that comes a lot of political issues that um that come with that so yeah that's that's what i can see obviously there's gonna be other immigration but uh from my naked eye that's like the most prevalent those two the east asian and um latinx or south american valley what about you is there like a lot of internal migration in india like between provinces and between north and south or is there also because i know you live in south uh south india is there a lot of like migration from sri lanka and stuff there is a lot of migration from sri lanka bangladesh and nepal as well so I think those are the three most prominent countries where people migrate to um, India. There's also a lot of migration between states. So there's a lot of people from North India. North India is a little poorer than South India is. It's not as economically well off. So a lot of people over there to find jobs come to South India and they usually take up jobs here that the local people don't take up. So they usually, if you go to the hairdresser salon, they're usually filled with people from the North who speak Hindi. Um, they're not Tamilians, they're not from South India. So similarly, you would find that a lot of the construction workers are also from North India. So I think they usually take up a lot of the like minimum wage jobs, the worker sector jobs. They don't usually occupy positions very high up in South India. Uh, you find them mainly in these kind of positions. So I think that's most of the migration that I've seen, that I've witnessed for myself. The Sri Lankan people coming into our country, we have a lot of teachers as well who are Sri Lankan. So we've seen a few of those um, migrants from Sri Lanka. There's also a huge proportion of people that also come from Afghanistan sometimes. I don't know if it's huge, but I think the statistics is around 9,000 people. I'm not sure mm. if that's a large number or not. But mm. they come And those are Afghanistan mostly well. refugees or immigrants? They're mostly either Hindus or Sikhs. And I think they're mostly refugees because Afghanistan okay. is mm-hmm. a pretty dangerous country. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pretty war-torn. So I think from there, it's mostly refugees. Um... I'm not sure. I think even from Bangladesh, it's a lot of refugees because that country is really poor and it's very easy to enter India from Bangladesh. So a lot of people just mm-hmm. sneak in illegally. So I think that's okay. most of the... And is there a lot of, pre- like, is there prejudice in South India against North Indians? Like, is there this sense of they're coming and they're taking our jobs that should be reserved for South Indians? Like, there's that sentiment mm-hmm. in the West about for, uh, mm-hmm. foreign immigrants. I think definitely there's a huge, but it works both ways. So if you go to North India, you're mm. discriminated for being South Indian. If you come from North India to South India, you're discriminated for being North Indian. So I think both really? sides, yes, kind of don't like each other very much. So <laughs> if you meet a North Indian, <laughs> yeah, if you meet a North Indian, they're going to be super different from how I am. So it's a huge difference, the culture in the North compared to the culture in the South. And I think we mostly look down upon the culture more than they're taking our jobs in India. What's the biggest difference in culture between the two? I'm not sure, but I would say that North Indians are more liberal from what I've seen in every aspect, I think, Mm -hmm. whether it's, you know, the way they dress, the way they make friends, the, the jobs that they choose. They're generally a lot more liberal than South Indians. South Indians tend to have huge families. Mm. so your reputation in the family matters mm-hmm. a lot 
So they tend to be more conservative than people from the north. That's the main interesting. Yeah. And is there like is there sort of because looking at like the immigrant population in South India, is there like pre- prejudice between you know North Indian, Sri Lankans, Bangladesh? Is there kind of like a hierarchy on where people stand um where it's like if you're bangladeshi and you immigrate to india would that be worse you know socially than if you're north indian and you immigrate to south india just because you're indian and you're already integrated into that culture i think so because when you're north indian you can still relate to indian culture so you still know Mm -hmm. what the norms are but i think coming in from bangladeshi you do face a harder battle Saying that if you immigrate from the West to India, like if you're white, you will be treated like a king. I don't know how that works. Ah. Yeah. So if you guys came to India, there would be people lining up on the roads to like take pictures with you guys. That's happened before. Yeah. So India kind of considers the type of immigrant you are. So if you're from the West, then you're treated really well. Is it because of like skin color and like, is it just like solely based on race? Like you're white. So there's this idea of you know, culture that's like different than the West, but we idealize it? Is it just solely based on that? I think India was colonized by the British for what, a hundred years, I think. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think that mentality is still there, that they're better than us, they're higher than us, we look up to them. So oh. that applies whenever they come here to a huge proportion of the local population. And they've never seen these people in real life before. Because Bangladeshis and Sri Lankans look like us. So you can't really tell the difference unless you look really closely. But you can really tell the difference when there's an American walking around. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So I think that's the difference. That's really interesting. I know in Toronto, like we have everywhere. I Googled the stat before um, this podcast episode just because I wanted to like know what I was talking about. But 40% of Torontonians are foreign born. And even just not considering that number, people who are first generation, second generation, who still maybe carry that immigrant mentality, that refugee mentality, who have gone through those experiences, but were maybe born in the country. Um, There's just a very, very large population of immigrants and refugees. So especially just because Toronto is more of a liberal city and definitely more progressive, um, there's less of an anti-immigrant mentality. And, you know, immigrants in Toronto come from literally everywhere, Um, just most places you can think of in Canada and I've talked about this before we have a less we have less of a Hispanic diaspora just because often uh, people in South America and uh, Central America and Mexico tend to immigrate more towards the U.S. because Mm -hmm. of the Spanish and because it's closer Mm -hmm. but most of the French-speaking countries in you know in Africa and the Middle East if they can't get to France Canada is the second best option because we speak French here and it's a modernized country so you have um, a lot of people coming from African countries that speak French so countries like Cameroon and Chad my math teacher is from Chad and I had a teacher who's from the DRC um, mm-hmm. or de- sorry Democratic Republic of the Congo um, so you have this very very big African diaspora in Canada and Toronto and then you also have this very big Middle Eastern population as well because countries in the Middle East that were colonized by the French so like Lebanon and Egypt um, they come to Canada because they speak French and there's this commonality of the French that ties them towards Canada so I think you see a really big immigrant population mostly in the south of Canada Mm -hmm. Um, so when you're talking about Vancouver um, Victoria and British Columbia and then Montreal and Quebec City and Quebec and Toronto and Ottawa and Ontario um, my next question, and we talked about this a little bit, what is the effect, do you think, of migrants in the place where you live? And like culturally, do they bring food economically? Is there just a big percentage of the labor market taken up? Just anything you want. Go ahead. 
Yeah. Um, I'm talking for like San Francisco proper. Um, I don't really see the rest of California as much, but for San Francisco, our food and our culture is is like nowhere else in the U.S. I mean, it truly, like I've lived in other places in the U.S. and I I've never seen a city like San Francisco. Um, because it is so culturally diverse. I mean, as I said, there is a huge um, uh, South American to Latinx community, um, and then there's also a huge East Asian community, but then, you know, there's people from all around the world who come to San Francisco. I mean, it's Silicon Valley. It's, um, it is uh, the center for, you know, new creations and all this. So a lot of people want to be in San Francisco. Um, and so with that comes food that's, you know, I can have any type of food. I didn't realize just how lucky we were with like the um, the type of food we're able to get and it's because of this um these immigrants um whether that's refugee or whether that's you know just people immigrating for you know a better life or just like you know neat wanting to. Um and yeah, so there's there's the idea of food and then also the um, I would say it affects politics a little bit, but I don't want to talk about it too much because I don't know as much about it. But just the culture is a lot more liberal because um, because of these immigrants and, ha- and you know, a big majority of the voting population are these immigrants, um, though a lot of them aren't legal, so they can't vote. But you know what I mean? It, it affects everything of daily life. Um, in San Francisco, you have, you do have sections of the city that are um, more of a certain culture than others so you could walk from one street to the next and go from um, what is called here uh, we have Japantown but then you also have like a a great um, concentration of uh, Latinx people so yeah it it affects everything and I think that the main thing that I can personally just see um, without going onto the internet or anything um, is the food is really just incredible. And so, you know, in that aspect, I'm very grateful for the place that I live in and for it to be a hub of international people. Um, but then obviously it comes with a lot of problems of, you know, people coming in and not having anywhere to live, especially since San Francisco is extremely expensive. And so that comes a lot of issues and it's not as welcoming in that sense, um, for people to actually be able to live here. Um, so yeah. Is there a lot of prejudice um, against immigrants in San Francisco? Definitely. I mean, there has to be. Um, this is less about immigrants and this is more about race. Um, I mean, you probably uh. have seen everything about, like, the hate against the Asian community um, and how, you know, there's people are getting killed on the streets. I mean, I feel like it's died down a little bit, but um, ever since COVID and, you know, Trump blaming it on you know, China and all of that, which is just, you know, oh. we're not going to talk about it. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, so there's absolutely prejudice. And I don't personally, this is just me and what I see in the world. And obviously it could just, I could not be open to everything. And the media is also, you know, I don't have a huge outreach on everything that's going on. But um, yes, there is prejudice. There's always going to be. Um, but yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. Let's move on. Um, Okay, so I want to pivot just a little bit um, and talk a bit about social media. So Mm -hmm. we've, like, I think, or I know me and probably Odessa too because we're looking at this from a very westernized perspective. Like, I mean, I've personally grown up with this 
like idea of migration and immigration just being blasted in my face mm. just from all of the crises from like Syria and the Middle East or like in crises in Asia, crises in Africa that you constantly hear about. Mm. So what I'm wondering in your guys' perspective with all of these stories coming out and we've been hearing about these migration crises since we were young, have you guys become a little bit desensitized to the idea of migration? And like, I mean, there's no wrong answer here, but like, mm. I mean, when you hear about migration, immigration, and these constant refugee crises, has it become normalized, do you think, in our society, or just for us as young people? Uh, I'm not sure how qualified I am to answer that, uh, because I come from Coimbatore, not a lot of migrants even come here at all. So over here, it's very much an Indian community, a South Indian community. But I think if you go to the big cities like Chennai, Bangalore, Mumbai, uh, Mumbai, Bombay, I think you've heard of that. Yeah. So mm-hmm. if you go to any of those cities, then I think migration over there is very common. So when you see, I know that a lot of international schools over there. So we have like TISP, we have the American International School, we have the American International School in Chennai. So over there, it's very common to see immigrants from all over the world over there, whether it's from France, whether it's from the US. So, but those are like very few pockets in the city. For the majority of the population in India, seeing immigrants is still a novelty. It's not something that happens often. Mm. So I don't think that it's still um, very common in our society. So common that it's not something that we notice for the first time. It's not like when we see an American, we're like, oh my God, it's just another American um, living in India. It's more like, oh my God, it's an American in India. So I think in that Mm. way, it's still a bit of a culture shock. Uh, but aside from that, there are a few pockets of society, like I said, where it is very common. So if you're living in the high-end parts of Chennai, if you're living in the high-end parts of Bangalore, it is very common to see immigrants walking around. So I think it really depends on which part of India you're in. So in the bigger cities, it's more common. If you're in the smaller villages, it's less common. Hmm. I think in terms of like social media for me, I don't think I'm desensitized um, because it hasn't been very recent. Like it's only been in the past, you know, two, three years that have actually been opening my eyes to this issue of immigration, whether that's videos that are being, like, sent around and um, especially with the growth of social media, um, I think in a way, yes, I'm desensitized where when I saw the videos and the images of the children being locked up in cages, like, in on the border, like, I was appalled by it, but I wasn't, like, we gotta do something about this, you know, I gotta go protest, like, I I was just like, oh, that's awful, and then I went on with my day, which, it's horrible, but, you know, it's become so common on social media that I'm just like, oh, it's another crisis, but then there's also, it was just the other day where I saw a video, I forgot what country it was in, it was somewhere in Africa, I'm sorry, that's, like, a very broad thing, but, um, (laughs) where there was a crisis that, I didn't know much about and it was it was awful it was like women are being killed and like there's no food and it was just like an awful situation um and I and I go and I show my dad this video and he goes oh yeah they've been in a war for like 50 years I'm like what like like that's so normal and I mean no one's really helping and so in that there's multiple aspects of I see a video and I'm shocked by it but then I feel powerless because I can't do anything about it but then I look like is my government doing anything about it and they're not so in that aspect and then I just go on with my day right so Mm, in that aspect yes I am desensitized of I think if if it was more if it wasn't on a screen and I was actually seeing these issues like up front, I think there would absolutely be this connection and this, you know, 
desire and this need to actually do something but since it's behind a screen it feels so far away even if it's an issue like in California you know I mean it's all the way in the border I'm like oh yeah I can't do anything about that also I'm 17 I'm in high school what am I supposed to do oh during the whole Palestine um crisis which is still happening I was crying my eye like I was bawling at like because there was this video that went out um it was it was these two soldiers um who like shot kids that were playing soccer did you see that i saw that i cried too i bawled for like 45 minutes i was crying and i was like i think it there's levels like i had never seen a video of like hearing these two soldiers talking about wanting to kill a child i never heard of that before i'd never seen that so that shocked me it really did and i like it hit me way too hard um but then other things like seeing people migrate over the over our border you know that's become normalized um especially in movies yeah i'll give my perspective on this i think Mm -hmm. i have actually become a little bit desensitized to it because i've come from a family where migration and immigration and refugees has been a dinner time topic since i was Mm -hmm. like six or seven Mm -hmm. so we talk about this stuff all the time especially because my parents are dealing with their own like refugee crises my dad's very involved with what's happening in Palestine Mm. and my mom is very involved with what's happening in Kashmir we talk about this all the time so when I hear about these refugee crises happening I think and someone in my class pointed this out a while ago where like they, they were talking about this topic of desensitization I had this whole like moment where I was like I hear about this stuff all the time and I'm taking a course in it and we talk about you know refugee camps and we talk about um like atrocities and war crimes Mm -hmm, all the time mm -hmm. in class where and even just at home too where my parents will send us a video and be like look what's happening in Afghanistan um so I think that you know it's a problem for me just because I've grown up in an environment where this is really common and that's not true for everyone and Mm -hmm. I talked to some friends about this before um before this episode just to you know get a gist of what was like in Toronto and not just my perspective and like, like Odessa, like what you said, is varying levels. It depends, you know, how intense you are on social media, how much you look at all of these horrifying posts, mm-hmm. how much your parents talk to you about it, how much you actively look out for information on your own, what your own cultural background is. There are all of these factors that contribute to whether a person is used to it. But I think because our generation has grown up with social media, we become a little bit used to all of these, you know, horrifying stories, which brings me into my next question. Um, like what we've seen on social media is stories kind of get cherry picked um, Mm -hmm. with what gets shown and like thinking about it, what's happening in Cuba isn't being shown on social media. No. And thinking about what was happening with Palestine, like maybe a month or two ago. Exactly. We're like, we're like stories were being blown up all over social media. People were posting on their stories. This is happening in Palestine. I was seeing posts everywhere, but there's nothing like that in Cuba right now. And we're not trying to draw we're not trying to draw a comparative between these two cultures or anything, mm-hmm. but just like looking at social media, issues get cherry picked. And if you're looking at the broader issue of migration and refugees um, as just one big umbrella term, why do you think certain countries and cultures get cherry picked? And do you think that like, what's the issue surrounding that? I just want to hear your thoughts. I think with the issue with like the whole Palestine um, crisis and how that got blown up, especially on TikTok, um, I think things become a trend. So if you look at Black Lives Matter, especially in the US, it was a trend to post these, you know, 
in, they were I mean they were some of the more great videos of like empowering people and 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 showing these protests all around the world it, I think it becomes a trend and now the movement of Black Lives Matter hasn't stopped the issues of race and and systematic racism in our country hasn't stopped and yet we see a lot you know protests are still happening and yet you know it's a lot less um shown so I think it's the issues of trends where uh and there's a lot of performative performative activism Wait, what does that mean so there's a lot of perform performative activism um meaning like people will post something on their story like black lives matter just to show people that they're supporting black lives right. Matter. And i say that with quotations mm-hmm. like yes yeah, some of them are genuine and some of them are just like one so i don't get canceled <laughs> or two <sighs> just to like to be a part of this it, it, it's horrible to say but it was a trend to you know go and protest and post a video about it um because you know not everyone was actually you know doing something about it and and you know talking to their representatives and all that so i think that's the problem with why certain ones get picked i think the issue with cuba is because they don't have much wi they don't have any wi-fi unless you're like extremely rich um and so you know mm. did you see that video of the um, uh, people from Florida, where there was hundreds and hundreds of boats, like, rushing towards Cuba. No. no. I don't know what happened with that. I just saw this image of, like, oh my God. boats just, like, going to to Cuba. It looked like something out of a movie, but I don't know what happened with that. But, yeah. Yeah. No, that's interesting. Bali, what do you think? I think I agree, agree with Odessa. Some things become a trend. And then more than the issue itself, it's just trend that matters. And you just want to be caught up in following the trend. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. Okay. So mm-hmm. in class, we talked about this statement by this guy. He wrote in this um, book, uh, he wrote in National Geographic, an essay where he put out this claim, we are all migrants. And in theory, mm-hmm. it's true. We are technically all migrants. Yeah. We all, you know, if you trace back to our lineage, even people who have been settled in a country for hundreds and hundreds of years, their ancestors were migrants um, from Africa and the Middle East, and they moved up. And it talks about how it's like this theory in uh, Europe about the Aryan race or like a pure European race that just doesn't exist because there were no original native Europeans. There might be now, but originally there were no native Europeans. There's a debate about the statement, we are all migrants, whether it's problematic or it's not problematic. Mm. Um, I want to hear your guys' thoughts, then I'll let you know what mine is. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, it's an interesting sort of discussion. Personally, I think I don't truly agree with the statement. Yes, I agree that especially I'm just talking about in the in the form of the United States. We are all migrants unless we are part of the native um, American community. Right. If we are native. Um I also don't agree with you can categorize everyone as a migrant because that takes away the experiences of the actual people who migrated to a country, whether that's in the form of being a refugee and like running away from your homeland or coming over for new opportunities like with the gold rush and all of that. I think calling especially, I mean, if it's like first, second and maybe third generation of like an actual migrant, then maybe that because they're still really experiencing um, those difficulties as a migrant. But I think taking that title away from like the people who actually uh, had those hardships is, Mm -hmm. it's too, it's too overwhelming. It's too much of an umbrella. So I, I don't think we can call everyone a migrant because it, it just doesn't reflect on the experiences that every person has had. Yeah. 
Yeah, Valley, what do you think? I think that being a migrant is not just biological. She's saying biologically, if people haven't come from that country, if that considers them, if you consider them a migrant, that's kind of incorrect. Like how Odessa said, she's grown up in the US. So so I think that mm-hmm. because his experiences were so different, he's grown up in two different cultures. Mm-hmm. And I think the culture sort of defines who he is as a migrant more than his race or what his ethnicity is. Because in India, you have NRIs who move who've lived in the US for like 20 years and then moved back. And Mm -hmm. although they are native Indians, they don't share the same culture or the same way of speaking, the same way of dressing, the same way of being. So they are considered immigrants, although they are Indians. So I think it's more about the culture and how you're brought Mm -hmm. up that defines you as a migrant more than who you are biologically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We talked about in class where you can draw a parallel with the statement, or someone brought it up, we are all migrants to All Lives Matter um, with a Black Black Lives Matter movement. Um, Honestly, I think it's true because, you know, there's arguments for the statement we are all migrants. It, you know, puts empathy. uh, Well, the goal is to, you know, create empathy for people who don't have any for migrants and say, you're a migrant too. This is an experience you can have. Um, But then also the statement where it, you know, reduces a personal and emotional experience Mm -hmm. of a migrant to a common experience that you know some people might not have had so like i mean it's interesting there's we definitely won't get to an answer in the 40 minutes we've been talking Mm -hmm. but you know i don't know i wanted to hear your thoughts about that because i've been thinking about the question and you know whether you know we, the statement we are all migrants should be used in academic and media discourse. Um, um, and I think there are other ways of gaining empathy instead of making a big umbrella term mm-hmm. that encapsulates the entire migratory experience yeah. too and reduces the emotional aspect of it from other populations. I think um, the only place that I can understand where I would want to use that statement is, um, I mean, we see all these uh, videos of like what I would call a Karen <laughs> who says to somebody, like, go back to your country. Like, you don't belong here. And I think in that, stop it, Natalie. Um, I think in that aspect, it would be correct to say, but you were a migrant. I mean, like your ancestors were migrants. So like, why can't you understand that yeah. this person is fleeing? Like you're, let's say that like that Karen is from like Italian descent, you know, generations that <laughs> stop it. Natalie, she's laughing. Um, uh, like they migrated most likely for a better life in the U.S. for more opportunities. So why can you judge somebody who's coming from South America who's looking for better opportunities in the U.S.? You know, like exactly. it's that of course, idea yeah. of judgment of the like of the immigrant, even though like your ancestors were immigrants and you wouldn't be where you are without that immigration status. Do you know what I mean? So I think in that aspect, that statement is a is a good use because you're like reverting back to their origins to try to empathize with why are you judging this other person who has a similar experience just in a harder time, you know? Uh-huh. All right. Yeah, that is it. Sorry, very long conversation. Went a little bit over, but I hope any of you listening, you have learned something. You have learned something about our cultures, where we come from, something about migration in general, and it might encourage you to read more about it, learn about it. It's a very, very cool topic. If you have any questions, want to chat, have ideas of, you know, what we should talk about, you know, send us a message on Instagram. We are always ready to talk. And yeah, thanks for listening and see you next week.